We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the BuzzBeat Podcast. I am your host, Richie. This podcast is being brought to you by Harry's, Roman, and Indochino. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. You can get suits, coats, and shirts that will make you look as stylish as R.J. Barrett did on NBA Draft Night. Indochino actually just dropped a brand new collection with Barrett featuring limited edition fabrics and jacket linings that R.J. helped pick out and design. Indochino's process is simple. You first choose your fabric, pick any customizations, and submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks' time. You can get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom or do it all yourself online at Indochino.com. Right now, you can get $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code BLUEWIRE for $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more. An incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. Blue Wire. Breaking news, Terry Rozier. He'll be the next starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets. Step back, wide open, and it's good! Terry Rozier! All right, what's up, everyone? This is Richie, one-third of BuzzBeat. On today's episode, we have a guest for you guys today. I'll be bringing on Jack Duffy, who covers the Charlotte Hornets, as well as the Greensboro Swarm for the Painted Lines. You can find Jack on Twitter at JackDuffyTPL. That's J-A-C-K-D-U-F-F-Y-T-P-L. Jack, thanks for coming on. How's everything going with you? Hey, what's going on, Richie? My pleasure. It's going well. Uh Busy day tomorrow, got the Swarm, and then going straight to the Hornets game. But with the Hornets so far, surpassing expectations. For sure, for sure. It's funny, uh, I actually met Jack in person before, so uh, this is not some random uh, guest that we have on today. We've met in person, uh, and he kind of told me about his plans in terms of covering the Hornets and the Greensboro Swarm for the Painted Lines. Uh, Before we get into this episode, Jack, I just want to ask you a little bit about you know, the painted lines, how you got involved with them, what is their goal as a website, and uh, just maybe tell the listeners a little bit about TPL. 
Yeah, so TPL, we're a media network. We're based out of Philly, and we just rebranded this summer. We were Philly front office before, and we rebranded to the Painted Lines because we didn't want to just be associated with Philadelphia. And we're credentialed covering the Sixers, the Bluecoats, the Phillies, the Eagles, the Flyers. And we expanded this summer to me and Charlotte covering the Hornets and the Swarm. Uh, Christopher Klein covers the Hawks and College Park Skyhawks in Atlanta. We have a guy doing uh, Oregon stuff uh, out there. In Oregon, we have a guy doing the Browns. So we're basically just expanding fast as we can. And this summer, Jason Blevins is one of the, is the NBA lead at TPL. He contacted me about covering the Hornets, and I definitely hopped on the opportunity. So it's been a great season so far. Yeah, so, you know, it's funny because uh, the Hornets did play the, uh, the 76ers. So the timing of this episode is perfect. So the Charlotte Hornets took on the Philadelphia 76ers on Sunday. The Hornets lost to the 76ers 114-106 dropping their record to 4-6 and six on the season after 10 games. Hornets were led by Cody Zeller, P.J. Washington, and as always, it seems, Devontae Graham. Zeller finished with 24 points on 77% shooting, collected 7 rebounds, and then P.J. Washington added 15 points while Devontae dropped 19-10 and 10 off the bench. So, Jack, for this game, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds in terms of analyzing plays, quarters like that. Let's just kind of look at the game as a whole what we're going to do for this game is just look at two good performances and one lackluster performance. And I'll let you start off. It can be a team stat. It can be an individual play. Uh, anything from this game specifically, let's go with the good first. So give me one player that, that stood out to you uh, after watching this game. So you could obviously go to Devontae Graham, who posted another, another double-double, 19 points, 10 assists, or Zeller, who had 24 points. But for me in this game, P.J. Washington continues to impress me. He had 15 points. He was 6'11 from the field, 3 of 4 from 3. But what impressed me with P.J. was four steals. So what James Brego talked about on Thursday was – Basically, P.J. had kind of been in a little bit of a slump. Teams kind of got, went out to one on three-point line, so he couldn't shoot his threes. Like, he started the season off doing very uh, at a very high level. And against Boston, he had five blocks. And then against Philadelphia on Sunday, he had four steals. So he's continuing to find ways to impact the game without scoring, which directly, a direct quote from James Brego, he said that special players in the league, when, they, when the shots aren't falling, they find a way to make an impact in different ways. And he also mentioned Cody Martin in that as well but PJ just making an impact without scoring just shows just how of his future in the league is bright and as Brego said before it seems like PJ Washington has been in the league for two or three years the way he plays he's just very <laughs> mature he him rolling to the basket he, he cuts hard to the basket off those pick and rolls and he's just been very impressive for me so far yeah he definitely has been a player that uh you know going into the draft I really didn't have a, a true favorite player uh, but PJ Washington was kind of on my radar, but it definitely wasn't a player that I was looking out for. He seems to be one of those boring picks that does a lot of good things, but doesn't really excel at one specific aspect of the game. But you brought that point up right there in terms of if his shot isn't falling, uh, he has other things that he can fall back on, whether it's the blocks, whether it's the steals. It was interesting to see in this game because up until this game, he had only taken shots at the rim and from behind the arc both of which he's done a very good job at. But he did have to take a couple of mid-range shots just because of the imposing bigs on the 76ers with Horford and Embiid as well. But yeah, he's been very impressive as a rookie, a player that was probably, or at least the initial plans was for him to play sometime in Greensboro. But after watching what we saw from him, 
um, you know, after those first couple of games and in preseason as well, there was no way that this guy was going to be playing anytime in Greensboro. So yeah, that's definitely a good pick uh, for a good performance. I'm going to switch it over to another young player, uh, Malik Monk. And I think the obvious ones, like you said, Devontae Graham, Cody Zeller. Malik Monk has also impressed me. He finished with 15 points uh, on 50% shooting, had three assists, and he also had a season high eight rebounds. So grabbing that rebound, going as a guard, and I know Borrego loves to push the pace. So anytime a guard can grab a rebound, uh, it just starts that transition offense a little bit better uh, and quicker. Uh, I definitely want to point out this, and I'm, I know that you've seen this. His distribution this this season has been at a really high level, Monk that is. And he's shown flashes in, in the previous seasons, but it seems like he's allowing things to develop a little bit more, especially when that initial pass or the initial window isn't open. He waits and he kind of makes that better read. So it may be waiting half a second or a second and getting a lob pass over the top of the defender if that pocket pass isn't there. Offensively, he's doing a much better job of getting to the rim and taking threes. And I think something that we've kind of highlighted on, on previous episodes is his pull-up mid-range shot. And I think he's doing a better job of limiting those types of shots. And it seems like Borrego has clearly drilled this into the into the team and into his head that, hey, we got to get shots at the rim. We got to get shots from behind the arc. So what are you seeing out of Malik Monk, maybe specifically from this game or just kind of overall in his performance uh, so far? So this game was another example of Terry Rozier being in foul trouble, which drew Blink Monk to replace him in the game. And he had nine of his points in that third quarter. And one thing I've seen from him this year is he's progressed tremendously as a playmaker in the pick and roll, which is something in the past he's kind of had some uh, like non-force turnovers where he's just kind of throw the ball mm-hmm. into bad spots. And I think this year, like you said, waiting to make the right pass when that initial read isn't there. He's keeping his dribble alive, keeping his head up, and not attacking the rim with tunnel vision. So I think that's been a very bright spot for him this year. And then just through 10 games this year, he's shooting 46.4% from the field. That's up from 38.7% last year and 36% his rookie year. He's struggling from three there, shooting 28.6%. And I think one thing he is forcing on offense is a lot of times you see him taking – He's forcing uh, catch-and-shoot threes early in the shot clock uh, with guys kind of – he's not really wide open. He's kind of forcing this early in the shot mm-hmm. clock, and that's one thing that ha- kind of has annoyed me this year. But one thing I want your thoughts on with Malik Monk is how have you – what are your thoughts on him defensively this year? Especially in this game, I, I took a couple of notes. I, I don't take a ton of notes defensively, and usually my notes are more tailored towards uh, offensive plays. But uh, I, I thought defensively, especially in the third quarter, he, it's still a concern for me. I'm not sure it's going to get a whole lot better. Obviously, he bolted up over the season, so you would think that would translate on the defensive end and not being pushed around so much. But we definitely saw some lapses in this game. Where I mean, he's kind of like Miles Bridges, where it seems like he loses track of his man a little bit too much, and and players go back door, and he, and he's caught watching the ball, and he's always a couple steps behind. So. You know, I mean, do you have different thoughts about Malik Monk on the defensive end? Are you seeing something different, or you still think it's a concern for Malik Monk? No, I definitely agree with you. I think the thing with Monk is he's obviously more engaged on defense when his offense is going. So, example, Sunday night, he had 15 points. He had a hot third quarter. When he's doing well on defense or on offense, he's having a good night shooting. Then it translates directly over to his defense. Prime example was that Clippers game uh, back on October 28th where he had 15 points. He drew three offensive fouls that game. Uh, But the thing is, like, his offense is so inconsistent. If you look at his game logs, 15 points, 18 points, then he had nine, then he had four, four, nine, and then 15 last Sunday. So there's just inconsistencies there. Uh, His place, there are 
he's still defensively he he's done better with his rotations and he still kind of gets lost off ball at times but i think mm-hmm. he's more aggressive and more engaged on ball which is a bright spot for me this year for him yeah on ball definitely i definitely see that as well in terms of being the engagement it, it makes a whole lot of sense if if your shots are falling and you're getting more consistent playing time and you're putting up the points I think naturally for anyone, uh, that's going to translate over on the defensive side too so that you can get that stop and, and get back out to the offensive side. Uh, let me give you one more good performance from this game. I think we've already mentioned this guy. Devontae Graham had another double-double with 19 points and 10 assists. I think clearly he has taken the biggest leap from last season, uh, surprising us all. And I've actually been pretty high on Graham, but never thought he'd develop this quickly especially over the summer and a season's time. He's definitely been a force with the ball in his hands. Uh, his pull-up game has been really, really strong. Uh, and also, one more thing. There have been eight players, and this was actually as of Sunday, so it could have changed after last night's game. There are eight players in the NBA that have taken at least 40 pull-up three-pointers this season. So that's about four game for Devontae Graham, who has 10 games under his belt. So you have players like Trey Young, James Harden, Lillard, and all those players that are very good with the pull-up three-point attempt. He is first among those players when it comes to the three-point percentage. So thoughts on Devontae Graham and and his big surprise this season and, again, another double-double in this game. So I think a big thing with Graham, what he's talked about and what Brego has talked about is he worked with James Brego all summer on his game. Brego was instilling that confidence in him to shoot the ball. And Graham is Graham's doing the exact same things. If you watch him play at Kansas for those four years, he's doing the exact same thing he did at Kansas. All he had to do, he just needed a year of adjustment time, and he needed the confidence from his coach that Brego has given him to uh, transfer his game to the NBA level, and that's exactly what he's doing. He's, he's the team's primary ball handler. He's making terrific decisions off the pick and roll. He, it seems every single alley-oop attempt, he's the one on the other side throwing the lob like that one from half court. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had to Malik Monk. He had one to Monk on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, just him as a playmaker, he's been incredible. And then also with his shot being as lethal as it's been this year, he when players are going over picks, he can draw defenders on pump fakes. He can like players will go over screens now, so he doesn't knock down the three. So he's been getting to the foul line a lot to get free throws, which has been another important part of the game and really good for the Hornets. You know, one of the biggest things for him over the summer clearly was the shooting and like you mentioned Borrego probably instilled a ton of confidence in him and if they're going under the screen he's going to punish you and if they go over the screen like you just mentioned if they hedge hard he's really good at splitting the screen as well so any other good performances that you want to highlight from this game before we move on to a lackluster performance from this game uh yeah I think Cody Martin he he didn't play he didn't play a lot but he had he had a good block on Mike Scott at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Uh, he just he just continues to play very small amount of minutes, but makes an impact while he's on the floor. Yeah, we'll get to him a little bit later in the podcast, but another good defensive performance from Cody Martin. And he had this one play that I've highlighted on my on my Twitter account where cannot remember who he was guarding, but he basically kept the guy out of the lane, pushed him to the baseline. The guy made a pass to Scott uh, in the corner. Mike Scott is making a drive from the corner into the paint, and he's coming over and helping and contest without fouling. So just little things like that you're going to see out of Cody Martin. And the more and more we see these things, the more and more we would like for him to play more than just 10 minutes a game. So I know it's going to be situational with this guy, and you know there's only so many minutes to go around, but he's making an impact early on in this season. Jack, let's take a break real quick. 
Humans have been shaving for thousands of years, and the secret to a great shave? It hasn't changed much. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls or heated handles, and neither do you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on delivering what actually matters, sharp, durable blades at a fair price. My wife and I use Harry's because of the smooth shave that we get for such an affordable price. It's a return to the basics, quality, durable blades at just $2 per blade. They've cut out the middleman, manufacturing blades, and their German blade factory that's been honing precision blades for a century. Harry's is also super convenient. Blade refills are delivered directly to your door on your schedule with or without a subscription. Listeners of our show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash bluewire and you'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, a five-blade razor with the lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to start shaving better today. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo, or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. ED used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman to take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. Last thing I want to mention on this game, Jack, let's pick out a player or a team stat that you thought was a little lackluster that could have used a little bit of improvement from this game. I'll let you start. Who did not stand out to you uh, from this game? So mine wasn't necessarily a player or a stat, but it is the entire third quarter for the Hornets. This has been a continuous (laughs) trend this year. All, All their losses against Minnesota, the Lakers, the Clippers, Boston, and Philly are all results of bad third quarters. Against New Orleans, they actually had a decent uh third quarter but yeah the third quarter they the Sixers started on a 26 to 10 run the Hornets are shooting 5 of 15 uh for the quarter the Hornets shot 10 of 24 from the field and for the third quarter this year the Hornets ranked 28th in net rating in the third quarter at negative 22.8 they're 27th in defense defensive rating in the third quarter at 119.5 and then they're 29th in offensive rating during the third quarter at 96.8 so basically they're just getting derailed in the third quarter. And if you watch the third quarters, the Hornets aren't playing at the pace they want to play, the high pace, because what Brego and all of the players have talked about a lot is when you have to take the ball out of the basket, you can't go and run the play the pace that you want to play at. And so the Hornets have been forced to play in a half-court offense, which has kind of been their kryptonite this year because they're used to playing out and they're playing fast. And when they get in the half-court, these guys are in new roles and new positions, and they're just not used to it. They don't have the chemistry yet in the half-court and their offense – 
their offense just definitely falters during that. And then also, like, to start the fourth quarter, they only had eight points in that first nine minutes. So the Hornets made that little bit of a comeback with, like, the last two minutes of the game. They tried to make a miracle comeback. <laughs> Didn't – ended up not impacting the game at all. But up until that last two minutes of the game for the second half, the Hornets shot 13-39 to in the second half. So they just couldn't really get anything going. Rozier was in foul trouble, and the team just struggled mightily besides Malik Monk in that third quarter. Yep, yep, that seems to be a trend this season. Philadelphia went on several runs in this game. You know, even without Simmons, they they went on a run of 22 to 8 in the first quarter, 19 to 6 in the third quarter, 20 to 8 in the fourth quarter. So, Hornets got it close at certain points. They actually were leading at halftime and, and had a lead to begin the third quarter, but that that lead went away real quickly, and that seems to be a trend uh, like Jack just mentioned. I will say one lackluster performance from this game and Hopefully this is not becoming too big of a trend as the season progresses, but Dwayne Bacon really had a rough go on Sunday night. 0 of 6, a team low, minus 20 and 16 minutes of play. Shot wasn't falling, uh, and this definitely wasn't a game for him when it comes to trying and get his buckets at the rim with Horford and Bede uh, near the basket. He had a play in the second quarter where he dribbled off his foot, so it just seems like not a lot of things are going right for Dwayne Bacon and at the end of last season, a lot of promising play with him. I mean, you look back on his season last year and, you know, with his way that he shot the ball from deep, the way that he got to the rim, got to the line and shot the ball around the rim, you thought that would just translate right over uh, into this season. But he seems like he's pressing this season. Yes, he can catch fire at certain points uh, in the game, uh, but he really hasn't been consistent enough. Uh, and once again, he just seems like an afterthought when it comes to this game or just multiple games throughout the course of this season. And I, I don't know what the answer is for Dwayne Bacon. I, I'm not ready to kind of press the panic button quite yet, but definitely he's had several games where he's just been in this rut. Yeah, we'll get deeper into it later, but just from the game on Sunday, he posted the lowest box plus minus at minus 20. And like you said, he just, he's kind of felt like the odd man out to start the season mm -hmm. on the offense um, he drives to the basket with tunnel vision. He kind of just forces the ball up and against that Sixers team with Embiid and Horford in the middle that just was not going to work. And, yeah, he's he hasn't really been – like he doesn't close out games anymore for the Hornets. He did at the end of last year. He's closing out games. He's not closing out games. Defensively, he's not terrible uh, this season. But, yeah, he just could not get it going. Over 6 from the field, over 2 from 3. Last year he shot 42% from 3, but a lot of those were spot-up attempts. And this year he has the ball in his hands a lot more. I just think yep. – I'll talk about this more later, but out of all the Hornets young guys, Dwayne Bacon's the most raw out of all of them, and so this has been definitely a big growth period for him, and he struggled. All right, let's get to some big picture stuff uh, and kind of go away from this game a little bit. Uh, I had a couple of different topics that I kind of want to throw at you and we'll discuss. So the first topic I want to get to is Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham, and basically what I'm going to ask you, and I think a lot of people are thinking this, does it make sense to bench Rozier in favor of Graham? I think we all have to consider the optics of kind of benching your $58 million acquisition this summer. Does that look good or does, or should that be something we consider if we were to bench him? If you had to say, with all things considered, do you bench Rozier in favor of Graham? Uh, I don't right now. Uh, as we've seen with Graham, it doesn't matter if he starts games or not. He's still playing the same amount of time. Mm -hmm. And Graham's talked about that he enjoys coming off the bench. A guy's not going to say he doesn't like coming off the bench. But with Graham specifically, with Rozier, they played better with on the floor together at the same time. So I think eventually you wouldn't 
uh, bench Rozier, you'd bench Bacon and have Graham and Rozier play alongside of each other. Defensively, that could bring up some problems, but the way James Brigo's offense works, he likes having multiple playmakers on the floor at the same time. He likes rapid ball movement, and uh, Terry Rozier has talked about that he likes playing with Devontae Graham on the floor. Terry Rozier played shooting guard at Louisville. He played in high school, so him playing the two when Graham's in the game is nothing new to him. Uh, the thing about Terry is he needs to stay out of foul trouble, and that's hurting his time on the floor. And one thing Brego's talked about is Rozier's a big guy and setting that pace for this team because defensively he gets a lot of those rebounds and he pushes the ball. When he's not in the game, that the team's not playing as fast. And Rozier, I think at least in at least a handful of games this year, has gotten into foul trouble early, getting three fouls in the first half where he can't really play a lot the rest of the first half and then the end of the second half. And that was an example again on Sunday. But I think big picture, Rozier and Graham are a very good fit alongside of each other. I would not bench Graham for Rozier. Though. I would bench Bacon. Okay, okay. I, I definitely understand that. And you make a good point in terms of uh, Rozier and Graham playing well together. Rozier definitely, to me, plays better off ball than he does on ball. So that's why that pairing does work on the offensive side. On defense, yes, Rozier can guard some twos, but not all. I do want to throw out some stats to you to kind of support that argument that you just made. I think with Rozier on the court and Graham on the court, they are scoring 115.6 points per 100 possessions, which is really, really good. They have an effective field goal percentage of 54.3, which is pretty good. Uh, Defense definitely gives up some points, but I think the offense makes up for it or more than makes up for it. And uh, I'm going to give you some more stats. These are a little bit more ugly. So if Rozier is on the court and Graham is off, so a lot of times with that starting unit, they're only scoring 92.7 points per 100 possessions, which is awful. Uh, The effective field goal percentage of 49 is just bad. And they're allowing 116.2 points per 100 possessions for a difference of negative 23.5. So if you're not willing to bench Rozier for whatever reason, you just bench Bacon and put Graham in there. But Jack, I, I feel like I've come to the conclusion, and maybe I'm wrong, I don't feel like Rozier is really a true point guard. Like he's better off the catch. He's not really a ball mover. I feel like in Borrego's offense, whenever he gets the ball, it seems like it slows down a little bit. Uh, he's not a distributor, and I'm not really sure he makes others around him better. I- am I wrong in saying that, that he's more of a two-guard than, than a point guard? I think out of anybody on the team, this Terry's ears in like the adjustment period for him right now is very big. He went from, a, like, like he said, not being a distributor, uh, not being a true point guard, that kind of wasn't really his role in Boston. And Boston coming off the bench, Marcus Smart would come off the bench with him, and Marcus Smart was that primary playmaker for that second unit in Boston. So Rozier hasn't really had a chance to be a primary facilitator yet in his career. We've seen flashes with him and Zeller and the pick and roll. That chemistry between them is getting a little bit better. But, yeah, I don't think naturally he's a point guard, and that's why I think that fit with him and Graham together would be tremendous. I mean, you see him coming off these pick-and-rolls. He's always trying to make sure that defender's on his hip, so he's looking for a shot. And he's also with new teammates, unlike uh, Devontae Graham, who's been with these guys all summer and last year. This is a brand-new uh, brand new team for, uh, for Terry. And 
In all, I think Terry probably is a shooting guard for sure. The, the timing of his slump this year is it's at the beginning of the year, so people tend to panic more. Let's say mm-hmm. Devontae Graham. Let's say Devontae Graham has a 10-game slump, but it ends up being from games, let's say, 35 to 45. There wouldn't be as much of a panic as it would be if they were the first 10 games of the year. And that's kind of where if Terry Rozier isn't a slump, because I think he is, because a lot of the shots he's missing are makeable shots that I've seen him make before. So I think the timing of his slump's bad. Uh, currently, right now, he is shooting an abysmal 38.5% from the field, 34% from three. So not a hot start for him, but I think he's going to get out of the slump because, like I just said, he's making he's missing makeable shots. So I think it's just a matter of time with him getting comfortable with the team. Now, he's never actually shot above 40% in his career, which is, which is crazy to me that that, that guy with his athleticism uh, wouldn't be able to you know, score better at the rim or whatever, what have you. But he definitely struggles when it comes to the pick and roll. Like you said, he's always trying to get the defender on his hip. And it doesn't seem like he has a true plan of getting past the level of the screen. And, and things seem to slow down a little bit more. But yes, Rozier and Graham play well together. So that, that could be an option. Instead of benching Rozier, bench Bacon and have those two play together. Devontae Graham is getting starter minutes. He's closing the game. So I don't think in the grand scheme of things that we're missing out too much on Devontae Graham. I just know that Devontae Graham right now is performing at a better level than Terry Rozier. That's definitely not a hot take to have. And Rozier is, is struggling right now. So it feels like there's more of a panic because he hasn't established himself uh, with this new team. Speaking of someone that has not established himself this season, uh, Dwayne Bacon, he's definitely in a slump. I will start off with this in terms of where my worry level is with Dwayne Bacon. I feel like I need to give it maybe 20 more games before I become a little bit more panicked, but it definitely has been rough for him this season. Like we mentioned before, towards the end of last season, it was very promising. I mean, he was really good at the rim, really good from deep. Uh, although I felt like he take he took a little bit too many mid-range shots and not enough three-point attempts. His efficiency numbers have fallen off a cliff. I'm not really sure what we can point to as the reason for that. I mean, I think the ball in his hands clearly is the easy answer there. Ten games in here, it's not looking good for Dwayne Bacon. If I had to put a number on it, like one being the least worried and ten being the most worried, I'm probably at like a 6.5 with Dwayne. How worried are you about Bacon in terms of turning this slump around? I'm definitely a little bit concerned, but in the same breath, I'm not. Like I talked about earlier, he's probably taking the biggest leap in terms of responsibilities given to him this year. I'd say, like, Devontae's, the thing about Devontae's, like, he's getting a bigger increase in minutes this year, but Devontae's already shown us that he can do these things like he did in Kansas. And the thing about Bacon is the style of play he plays, the isolation ball, um, him at the mm. shooting guard position, he's, he's struggling a lot with the ball in his hands. He's talked about how last year, with Kemba, it was him cutting the basket and then him spotting up in the corner for threes. This year, he's averaging 9.9 points on 34.2% from the field, including 25.8% from three. Like we talked about, he's getting to the rim, but when he drives to the rim, he gets tunnel vision and he doesn't keep his eyes open. He doesn't pass the ball when his options aren't there. So what he'll do is he'll drive to the basket with two bigs on him and just throw up a really bad layup. And a lot of times we find uh, or Dwayne Bacon throwing the offense out of rhythm a lot of times. So... He's definitely I'm probably I'm probably around like a six or a seven. But I, I think I'd say by the All-Star break, we'll have a very good idea of how Dwayne's fitting into the system. I think long term for the NBA, Dwayne is not a starter. 
uh, on a playoff team. He's probably just an energy guy, a uh, spark plug guy coming off the bench, giving you some scoring. So I think eventually he'd probably be more, a lot more comfortable in that role coming off the bench when Devontae ends up starting, which I think is going to eventually happen. That's a good point. He definitely is not a player that, that sticks out to me as a starting shooting guard in the NBA, and he probably is better suited to come off the bench. All right, a couple more topics I want to get to you. Uh, on Friday, I actually put out like a little power ranking on Twitter of the players, the current players, and how they're playing with the Hornets. I have Graham, number one overall, in terms of just his performance through 10 games. P.J. Washington at number two. Cody Zeller, to me, has been the third best Hornet. Miles Bridges at four. And surprisingly, uh, or maybe not surprisingly, I have Cody Martin at number five. Is there anyone in that top five, I mean, regardless of order, that you think shouldn't be there? Like, is there a player that you feel like has been performing really well that would make it or crack it into that top five that I have there? Um, well, I, I'll start off by saying I think Zeller is the second best player on this Hornets team right now. Uh, I just I say that because a lot of times, especially in the half court on offense, Zeller's that steady hand for the team. He's the only vet in that starting lineup. So a lot of times when the offense is kind of in shambles, he'll get the ball at the top of the key as a playmaker and kind of set everything up. He's very good with the DHO. He's he make he even can take it off the dribble too. And like we saw Sunday, he made two threes um, for the year. He's he hasn't shot a lot of threes. He's shooting thirty percent. But just Zeller in total, just having a vet on it defensively as well. I mean, they've struggled protecting the paint this season, but Zeller's been the veteran guy that has led this team so far. And then, um, yeah, I agree with PJ as well. Miles Bridges is, I, I think, we'll talk about him a little bit later, but I think Miles has had a, a decent year. He's had a, a little bit of an adjustment period with kind of switching from that four to the three with PJ's rise. And then I'd probably, I'd still put Terry in that top five um, just because uh, just defensively, Terry Rozier has been, he's been very, he's been, he's been, he's still been really good defensively this year for the team. And, Games where even games where he's struggling shooting the ball, um, he still he he controls the pace. He dictates the pace for the team um, at times. And he's the thing is like he's not taking terrible shots against Boston. He's forcing the ball. Um, and then I think the first game against Chicago, he also was forcing it. But I think a lot of the shots he's taken this year aren't like super low quality shots that I've seen him taking. But just overall, I think Terry from a, just from a defensive perspective has been decent this year. But I'm not going to take anything away from what Cody Martin's done. Uh, Cody's been incredible <laughs> this year. Let's actually stick on on Miles Bridges and Cody Martin uh, because I know that you wanted to bring up Miles Bridges. But I think, like you said, he, he switched from the four to the three. Been a little bit of an adjustment period for him. But one thing that I'm seeing out of Miles this year that I'm really liking is his above-the-break threes. That was a an issue of his last season. I'm not sure exactly what the numbers were off the top of my head, but they were not good. And for a player that's going to be playing the three and the four and the pick-and-pop game a little bit more, you're going to have the ball in your hands towards the top of the key. I believe his his numbers are significantly better at above the break. And even in the Philly game, he had a pull-up above the break three, which is something that sometimes when I see out of Bridges, I'm a little hesitant. But he has made a couple of those this season the biggest thing for me, though, is Bridges athletically, clearly he's very gifted in that department. On the defensive end, I've got to see him get better, uh, moving his feet and off ball as well, just not losing his man as often. I think he's a player that you just look at him. He, he should be a good defender, but really his only positive on the defensive side so far has been those weak side blocks. So I know you wanted to bring up Miles Bridges. What specifically are you, are you seeing out of him uh, this season? So kind of exactly what you said, right when the Hornets drafted PJ, my initial thought was, all right, this fit with 
this is going to be a weird fit with PJ and Miles because they both like playing the four. And on media day, I asked Miles if he liked playing the three or the four, and he said he liked playing the four because you get the ball in your hands more. Obviously, that's changed a little bit with the rise of Devontae Graham this year. But, yeah, I think his three-point shooting has been impressive so far, so far this year. Um, one thing, one of his goals that he said he wanted to have this year was to shoot 38% from three. He's shooting 36.2% right now on 4.7 attempts per game. I would take 36, man. I would take 36 from him right now. Yeah, 30. Yeah, he's, he's shooting the ball well. And a lot of the thing is, a lot of the, the threes he's making are off the dribble, like he talked about above the break. Um, I remember against New Orleans on Saturday, he just was dribbling the ball up the top of the key. Um, I think it was on the right, like the right elbow area on the three-point line. And he pump faked twice and... Brennan Ingram was still on his heels, and so he just pulled up. And just that's just another example of his confidence from three, which has been really promising for me this year. And then also on the defensive end, Brego has been putting Miles Bridges on the team's best, uh, the best wing every single game this year. His his weakness obviously is off ball. He gets lost a lot in rotations where you just have no idea what's going through his head. He just sits there, and guy will cut right behind him. So I think. Brego putting him on the team's opposing best uh, offensive player is good for Bridges because he's like focused. He doesn't have to help as much because that guy that he's guarding is way more important. So on ball, like the thing about Miles for a lot of his career is he's only had to use his athleticism and his speed to play defense, and now he actually has to. There's guys that are just as fast or faster than him and can jump higher than he can and are bigger than he is. So he actually has to watch a little bit more film and get a little bit more logistics behind his uh, defensive moves. So I think so far this year, I've been very impressed with Miles Bridges. He's kind of gotten, he's kind of been the forgotten man behind PJ and Devontae. Yeah, definitely. And uh, last player I want to get to before we kind of wrap up here is Cody Martin. I I think he's been a surprise. I I did not expect him to play a whole ton, a whole lot in Charlotte. I thought some of his uh, early games would have been down in Greensboro. I think the hope for Martin, uh, for him, is to develop into kind of like a 3 and D type. You know, right now, he's got the on-ball and off-ball defense. Uh, definitely to send him in that right direction and tra- trajectory to make that 3 and D type of player. The 3 will definitely have to develop with time. I think offensively, really the only thing that he has so far is that straight-line driving ability. You know, he has taken a couple threes uh, with confidence. Uh, but right now, I'm not. I am not fully confident in his ability to kind of shoot the 3 Thoughts on Cody Martin so far and, and the surprise that he's been? So this is kind of, there's a big question mark here with where what happens with Cody Martin once Nick Batum comes back. And uh, we, t- we asked Brego this on Saturday night before the Pelicans game, what his kind of plan was with Cody. And obviously he said Caleb was going to go to Greensboro, which he ended up doing. But the thing about Cody is we saw in the Golden State game, he played four minutes, but those four minutes that Cody was in the game completely turned the tide for the Hornets and was a big reason why they won that game. So there's mm-hmm. kind of this discussion of player development versus wins and losses, kind of what we like we were going to talk about as well uh, with Cody specifically because he can make an impact with only a short amount of time on the floor. Uh, Saturday against New Orleans, he actually scored. He had nine points, and he had that one poster dunk as well. Uh, but again, Saturday he had two steals and a block, and the play that stood out to me most was Cody's – at Nevada, uh, Cody had the ball in his hands a lot, kind of as a little bit of a point guard. They tried to, The Hornets tried to have him with the ball in his hands a lot during summer league, and he didn't really do that well. But after a, a made uh, Pelican shot, he got the ball off the inbound, and all the Pelicans defenders had their backs turned, and he literally drove coast to coast and finished a right-handed layup um, right off that inbound. So that's just another play of Cody just impressing me so far. But I think once Batum comes back, how Batum plays when he comes back is going to dictate whether Cody goes to Greensboro or not. Um, because Brego's role is 
he thinks progression happens in that 30 minute range. So if guys aren't um, in the regular rotation for this Hornets team, he's going to send them down to Greensboro. And that's what he did with Jalen. And that's what he did with uh, Cody's brother, Caleb. So when Nick gets back, if Nick comes back and is, and he's fully healthy and he's making an impact in similar ways that Cody was, then I, I, I would expect Cody to go down there. But at this point, I don't think Cody's moving. And if Cody keeps playing like this, I think he's going to stay up. Yeah, he's definitely a player that um, is a situational type player in certain aspects, but he can make a big impact on the game. If you put him in for 10, 15 minutes, uh, he's going to get you your steals, your blocks, uh, make two or three amazing defensive plays that just turns the tide of the game. And you know, obviously right now the Hornets are not so much concerned about wins and losses. They're more concerned about player development. And if he needs to see more time down in Greensboro to develop his game, so be it. But I think what he's showing right now on the NBA level uh, is enough for me to keep him on this roster. So I, I want to pull it back a little bit farther, you know, big picture stuff here before we wrap. Just kind of looking at the Hornets as a whole, the state of the Hornets, the style of play that we have, you know, James Borrego, is he the right guy for the job? First off, the style of play, I'm really enjoying how they're playing this year. I think wins and losses this season coming into this year is definitely not anything that we can worry about because this is this is a team that's going to be probably bottom three in the East. Last time I checked with this Hornets, they were fourth in the NBA in percentage of field goal attempts at the rim, eighth in percentage of field goal attempts from deep, and then 25th from mid-range. So that's definitely what you, what you would like to see. You know, all the anal- analytics and pointing to, you know, points per shot are definitely highest at the rim and then it comes deep, and, and then you have the the low points per shot from mid-range. So James Borrego knows what he's doing in terms of getting this team to attack the rim, take threes, pushing off of misses, pushing off of steals, trying to take advantage of fast-break opportunities. Uh, so I will say this. I, I think that James Borrego right now, I, I feel like there's nothing to tell me that he's not the right guy for the job. He is doing a good job of putting his stamp on this team. And, and you see how different it is from last season. I think last season coming into the year, he had Kimball Walker and you clearly had to push for the playoffs. Making his stamp on last year's team probably is not going to be the same as this year's when he has those younger players and he can impart his uh, his actual philosophy. So thoughts on just like the style of play the Hornets have so far this year and then James Borrego as well before we wrap. Yeah, so definitely I think the style of play the Hornets are playing is very aesthetically pleasing. They're playing uh, high-paced basketball. They're playing with a lot of energy and competitiveness, which is what Borrego wants to play with. Uh, currently, their pace, they're at 19th right now in the NBA at 101.4, and a lot of that has to do with their defense. They're 23rd mm-hmm. in defensive rating at 110.5. Um, yeah, so their pace is kind of dictated with their defense and then also turnovers too. They're 29th in the NBA in turnovers per game at 18. And so obviously like turnovers is definitely hurting your pace, turnovers and defensive rating. So they definitely need to clean up the turnovers, but that's just part of having a young team. And then also having all these new guys in elevated roles this year. Um, and then just from a ball, like a ball movement standpoint is another one of James Berger doesn't want the ball to stick in one player's hands. He wants rapid ball movement. And when that's occurring, the Hornets are playing at their best. And they're 12th in the NBA in assists with 21 assists per game on 38 made field goals per game. So that's very promising. And then James Brego, I'm all in on James Brego. Like he talked about last year, him and Mitch Kupchak both, they're, they're, the word that they heard from up top was they're going to push for the playoffs with Kemba. And so James wasn't able to implement the culture that he wanted to cement. And now this year he has the kind of players that he wants to build around and uh, James is all about culture and the culture. He's, he's cementing a culture with a solid foundation 
Um, and he's really big on player development. We've seen Lloyd Pierce in Atlanta be a big player development guy, and that's just that's James Brego's background, and that's what you need with a, a coming up team that's focused on player development like the Hornets have right now. And Brego's background, he's a video co- coordinator as well, and uh, we've mm-hmm. seen guys like Eric Spolstra, Mike Boonholzer, Mike Blown, and Steve Clifford, all those guys started off as video coordinators as well. And he's also from the pop coaching tree as well, so he has a good background. And just from what I've seen this year, he demands all the respect of players and the style of play that they're playing at is perfect for the modern NBA. Like he said, they're barely shooting anything from mid-range. They're shooting threes, getting to the rim, which is awesome. And just when you hear James Brego talk, he talks about this team. Uh, you can just tell that he has a firm idea and a firm grasp on what he wants to do, and all these players are bought into what he's doing. Yeah, I'm definitely high on him as well. So the Hornets, for the rest of the week, uh, their schedule looks like this. They have Memphis on Wednesday, Detroit on Friday, and the New York Knicks on a back-to-back for Saturday's game. Uh, thanks again for tuning in to another episode. Before we go, Jack, remind them where they can find you on Twitter and all your work online. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Jack Duffy TPL and follow us on the Painted Lines at thepaintedlines.com. And then also all of the Hornets pregame press conferences with Brago and then postgame with Brago and the players are all found on our YouTube channel. So subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's the Painted Lines and we'll have lots of Hornets content on there for you as well. Good stuff. As always, we'd appreciate a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast. Uh, subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app, whether that's Apple or Spotify or whatever have you. Uh, for Jack, I am Richie. Go Hornets. <laughs>